We're going to look at Matthew 13. We're going to start in verse 31, and we're going to read God's Word together. So would you, if you would, please join me as we look into the depths of God's Word. Let's look at it. Verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. If you would turn with me a little bit forward in your Bible to verse 44, and we'll pick up reading there. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on the finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Join me in praying. Oh God, apply this word to our hearts today. Help us to be thankful for it, to revel in it, to be different because of it. Conform us to the image of Christ. Help us to see the hidden nature of the kingdom and seek it with all our hearts because Christ has come and found us. Oh God, help us to live in light of your glory. Transform us. We need so much help today. Do this in your name I pray. Amen. So I was uh, recently driving back from Destin where I got a chance and opportunity to preach at Emmanuel Anglican Church there. It's where we used to serve. I was, uh, started a church in Santa Rosa Beach, which is just a little bit away from Destin, called King's Cross Church. And overall, I served in that area about 10 years as a pastor. And as I got this opportunity to preach there, while we were on the trip, me and Kim began the process of discussing what we might do for Thanksgiving. And we were kind of deciding that since this is our first year in Tallahassee, what we were going to do is have Thanksgiving here. And so while we're on this drive back, which was fall festival day for you all, we're starting this process of trying to talk to the kids about what our Thanksgiving plans are going to be. So we begin to tell them, hey, what we think we're going to do is we're going to stay here in Tallahassee and just have Thanksgiving with just our family this year. And from the back seat of the car, my son rose up with all the confidence in the world and says, do you even love your dad? Do you even love your dad? And I was just like, okay. He's like, that's not what we do for Thanksgiving. What we do for Thanksgiving is we go home. We go home. We go to Keystone Heights and we have Thanksgiving. What is wrong with you? And it's funny, like that notion of uh, this feast that comes up during Thanksgiving, we all enjoy it. We know it's a time to get around our family and this whole process for preparing this meal, it takes a lot of time. You know, most of our food, the way that we experience it a lot of times today is just so quick. 
And one of the things I love about these parables is the process of getting your food to you. It's all agricultural illustrations that are pointing you to the kingdom. But what you may have missed is how significant it is for it to be connected to the family of God. You know, what happened in chapter 12 of Matthew's gospel is Jesus' parents and brothers and sisters have come to collect Jesus because they thought he was crazy. And in the process of confronting Jesus, they're going to, you know, deal with him. And what Jesus says to them, he's like, who, who is my mom and dad and brothers and sisters? Who are they? And he begins this whole conversation about who's in the house and who's not in the house. Who's part of the family? Who's going to ultimately end up in the long-prepared feast? It seems hidden because it's all about this doing the will thing. And if you go back, look at this in chapter 13. He, he, he says this explicitly. I want you to take notice of it. It so applies to the hidden nature of the kingdom. Verse 1, that same day, the same day that this event happened in Jesus' life, he's going to do what? Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And then he begins to preach and teach in parables. And the whole point of him doing this is to show that some people just don't get it. They don't get it. In fact, many that are participating in the life of Jesus all the way up to this point are plotting to have him put to death because they don't know who the Messiah is. They don't get what he's come to do and what he is all about. They misunderstand. They're not in the house. And if you look in our very text and what I read in verse 36 in chapter 13, did you notice? It says this, Then he left the crowds and went into the house. Notice there's this interchange, this interplay that's happening as Jesus begins to explain these parables to his disciples. He's taking them into the inner life of what he's doing. In fact, many times or in our situation, we think, well, why isn't Jesus doing something bigger? In fact, that's exactly what was going on with the disciples as they watched Jesus teach in parables. Like, what gives, Jesus? This is our chance to go big. And here you are talking all meta, and it's confusing everybody. Why are you doing this? And what Jesus is saying is some people are just not getting it. They don't know what it is to be in the house. Now, the disciples, by the time you get to the end of this conversation, hilariously enough, they think they get it. And what we need to be trained from studying these parables is we need to be trained in being a good kingdom scribe who knows how to bring out the old and new correctly, who understand what it means to treasure the kingdom in our hearts. It's all throughout Matthew's gospel. It's been pounding away. If we miss it and we miss the hidden nature of the kingdom, we'll miss everything. So it's a warning to us and it's a call to wisdom and how to view the way the world really works. Now these disciples... Notice in verse 51 of chapter 13 what they think. Jesus finishes this teaching, one of the five major teachings in Matthew's gospel. He teaches it, and he's going to finish this particular section and say this. Look at this, verse 51. Have you understood all these things? How many of you, when you read these parables, go, no, (laughs) I don't don't know if I understand them. In fact, you find great difficulty in, in And you have to dig to understand the Spirit. Help us to understand and apply your word. Well, notice the amazing arrogance and spectacular insanity of the disciples. They said to him, yes. You know, these are the same guys that when Jesus goes through the process of heading to the cross and being resurrected from the dead, they're nowhere to be found. Because they didn't understand what he was all about. They didn't understand what their king 
had come to do. They miss their hidden Messiah. They had a notion for what this Messiah was going to be. Even Peter himself, in representing and confessing Jesus to be the Lord and Messiah, and where Jesus says to him in plain language, you didn't come up with this on your own. God delivered this to you. Has to be told later, get behind me, Satan, because he doesn't see Jesus going to a cross. So did these disciples get it? No! And so often we just don't get it. We need to return to God's word over and over again to get it, to make sure, to use wisdom, to assure that you're in the house. This, these parables, they come to you as a warning. And if you look at all of them, you notice that's exactly what they're doing. Whether it's the parable of the soils and the wheat and the tares, check your heart. Do you see the king of the kingdom? Do you see him for who he is? Are you in obedience to him or are you in rebellion? Do you see the way the world really works? Or are you looking for externals? Do you see the hidden nature of the kingdom as it conquers this world? Or do you look for powerful things? On and on we could go. So what I, what I want to do as we approach this is I want you to see these parables the way that Jesus taught them. I want them to form you in wisdom. I want you to hear the warning of them. And I want you to not overlook the kingdom. I want you to pay attention you need to look for your king. You need to see him in the text of the scripture here. So the first thing is the kitten, the sorry, the kingdom is hidden and conquering. The first thing. So if you would turn back to verses 31 and 33. You know, it's tempting in our day. What we do is we love to back a winner. We really do. We love to get behind it. Everybody knows the term of bandwagon fans, so most of you should be Georgia fans. I don't know why any of you would want to swing your arms about and go, or whatever. I know I'm in the pagan land of the Seminoles, but as me, I'm just going to go for the Gators, and it's because I'm seeking the hidden nature of the kingdom. They're awful. Anyways, but every, like it is, it is apparent, it seems that there are certain teams that all, they have it all together. And we all know that guy or those particular groups of people who just jump on the bandwagon and we just, you shake your head. And it's just part of the nature of who we are. We love to back a winner. And so often we look to the things that are powerful. I, I love this brings up uh, something that Ray Ortland said that is just so effective for this text. He says, God's answer to everything that ever terrorized us is a child. And that's what Matthew's been working out in his gospel. These pagan dudes that were the magi who took this long trip to find a king show up at great risk to give their stuff and worship this Jesus when he was a child. And the dudes who have the Bible, when they show up, wouldn't travel five feet to worship him. In fact, their hearts were set against him, and Herod wants to have him killed. As Matthew's working out the mystery of the kingdom, he wants you to see just how amazing it is what God is doing. And no one should survive these attacks, these things that are going on. And as Jesus is working in his ministry and what he's doing, he is surviving the attacks. He is bringing the kingdom to bear. You know, I think about it in a practical sense. Jesus has said, blessed are the meek. And just about every one of those beatitudes works exactly the same way for us. We have this tendency, if we work according to the, our fallen natures, to go, yeah, right, if we take what Jesus is saying serious. Many times we hear the beatitudes and we go, isn't that lovely? That's such good poetry. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? The kind of things that he says, blessed are you if you are persecuted for my name's sake? 
no, no, no. Blessed are, are me if I can escape being persecuted for Jesus' namesake. Things like blessed are the meek because they will inherit the earth. Are you kidding? No, no. Blessed are the strong because they will take the land and conquer their enemies and show them what's up. Like all these things. Blessed are the peacemakers. No, 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 no. Blessed are those who make peace with their peace. Like there's this way that it works in our heart where it's just vicious. We're confused. We think the world doesn't work the way Jesus actually says it works. And we're bent another way. And we miss the hidden nature of the kingdom because we rule and look at things through might and power. We have a tendency to look at the, the amount of money, the bank account that people have, the externals that they seem to possess. Even when we get to a righteous level, we look at people and say, they must be righteous because they look a certain kind of way. They do a certain number of things. But the Lord looks on the heart and sees all the hidden areas that we are pretending about. And what he's training and teaching his disciples is, don't get it twisted. Don't be confused. All the hidden things will be known. You know, that what we have here in verse 31 and 32 is illustrative. Notice it has to do with a mustard seed and leaven. I want you to pay attention to these illustrative moves of Jesus as he's training and teaching you what the kingdom looks like. So look back at here with verse 31. He put another parable before them. And he's putting another parable before them in line with the rest of the parables. He wants them to grasp this is a flowing thing. It's important that you put all of these parables together. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. So this is how it's illustrative. What the kingdom is, is like this. Now, what is it like? A grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. So there's an activity that's taking place. When you sow something in a field, it takes time for it to grow. So it's like this mustard seed that the man takes and puts in his field and waits for it to grow. Now, what's going to happen with the mustard seed? It's going to become a tree. Now, every time you teach on this, especially with the part that we're coming to, people are go, they say this word, they say, actually. You heard this before whenever you're studying the Bible, like and there's always the guy in the room that's got an actually comment. Well, what people will say is, actually, Jesus gets it wrong here. It's not the smallest of seeds. Orchids are smaller. Ooh. It's not the point that Jesus is making at all here, by the way. The point that Jesus is making is this small seed becomes this thing that houses the birds. It should blow your mind. The point is, is you didn't expect it. You didn't see what was happening. It happened slow, and the next thing you know, the birds of the air, they stay in it. And that should be mind-blowing to you. It should catch your attention. Notice right here, verse 32, it's the smallest of seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make its nest in its branches. If you were smart and you were witty and you were in that day, you would notice that what Jesus is referencing here is from Ezekiel. And in this particular passage in Ezekiel, what's gone on is, this is actually Ezekiel 17, 23. You can look it up if you want. Cedar, it's a cedar tree. Like what's happened is it's unexpected. And all of what's going to happen with Israel, although they are in exile, is one day they will house the nations. Notice how effective and important that is, especially in line of our text. Listen carefully to what's happening inside and outside the house. The birds are going to find their nestle point in this tree. What's happened to you and I when Christ has found us is we have found our home. 
We have found our home, our place of being. Our sense of purpose and existence is found as Christ has found us. We didn't see it. We lived a life that didn't interpret the world this way. We didn't see the hidden kingdom. It showed up and it surprised us. We should be surprised. And my warning today is do not overlook this. Many times what people will do is they will look at the things of the church and they will say the, the same sort of stuff. That doesn't matter. That's not a big deal. The things like Bible reading or your prayer life. It's, well, what does prayer really do? Like, why are you studying this old book? It's so not needed. And suddenly it begins to define all of life for you. They overlook and find it not worth it. They look on the surface and it doesn't seem all that powerful. It doesn't seem to do much for you. What, what, what is going on? And this beauty of what's being said here is the kingdom has a way of showing up and blowing our minds. You know, what we're drawn to is outward expression so often that doesn't come from inward transformation. We, we do miss the point of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is building from even as he's talking here. The temptation is to just have outward expression of the law rather than inward transformation that leads to this holistic life. We, look, I'm doing good. Look how well I'm doing. Jesus teaches really hard on that with the law in Matthew chapter 5, where he's just drilling in and saying, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, the law has to go down into your heart. Not only can you not murder, you can't hate. Not only can you, on and on this goes, and then it bleeds into chapter 6 in Matthew's gospel. And what, what's being said from Jesus is it's not good enough to have all these outward acts. If you want to be seen as a good giver or as a good prayer or as a good faster, and that's what you do, you perform in such a way that others can see you and there's no inward transformation, then you have the reward of being seen. But that's all you have. And as Jesus is pressing this all the way in chapter 6, the point is to seek first the kingdom of God. The thing that is designed in, to work in our heart is this passion for God's kingdom. You know, in this passage, it's so easy to overlook the power of it. Let's keep going. Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. You know, as Jesus shows up fulfilling these ancient feasts, whether it's Passover or Pentecost, he's showing that he's the one bringing the ultimate feast. And you better not miss it. You don't want to miss it because what's happening is he's conquering hearts. He's going to start small and he's going to invade all the spaces of our lives. He, he comes into each one of our lives and invades just like that. He, he's permeating the world right now through confession, through believing in him, through trusting in what he has done. And it seems like a small thing's to those who are conquering and kings. It's very akin to the way Jesus stood before Pilate. And Pilate's basically saying to him in John's gospel, do you know who I am? I have the power to release you. And Jesus' main point to him is, you don't know who I am, and you don't see the truth. Oh, my fear for each one of you is that you would be bent in the same way to interpreting the world through this lens and miss the hidden nature of the kingdom. Miss your king. I don't want you to miss Jesus today. We're not looking for mere appearance in the outward world. We're not looking to show up a certain way. We're looking for inward transformation that where all of us can be housed with the Lord forever. 
You know, the Lord looks at the heart and He sees past the surface. He looks to show off in weakness and make His, way, make his name known in the children or those that are shortest like He did with David. This tree will house the nations and Passover and Pentecost are found in Christ. The feast is coming and you're being invited. Don't miss it. And as we move through this life, what we are called to do at the end of Matthew's gospel is make disciples of the nations because this king has all authority given to him. And those are our marching orders. You know, so you may be tempted to think that your prayer life doesn't matter that much because it doesn't seem to be accounting for much in your life. And your Bible study, what's the point of studying this ancient book? Or the fellowship time that you spend with other people, it may feel like just waste. Why am I wasting so much time? I need to get busy with the important things that really do matter. And you may miss the kingdom altogether. You may miss its importance. You may miss things like the importance of hospitality or being forgiving. There's many things that you could miss. The beauty of the kingdom is it keeps coming for us and showing itself to us in unexpected ways. And I pray that that's what it's doing in your life today. So a long time ago, in a land far, far away, well, not that far away, there were these things called cassette tapes. How many of you know anything about cassette tapes? Do you guys know? Okay, not as many as last time. I'll do my best. Hopefully this works. Um... Well, there was a very famous song on the radio at the time, and my brother was very passionate. He had to get music for this song, and what you used to do was not stream that stuff over a phone. You had to go and buy it. So we took a trip in the Astro van to Walmart. Yeah, that was a whole thing. And as a family, we go inside, and we're looking for this music. And it, I had had enough of this particular song. They had played it out on the radio, and you, maybe you don't know, but there was a time when songs would get played out on the radio to the point where you're just like, could you please stop? And it was, don't tell my heart, my achy, breaky heart. Look, I, at the same time, I just don't think you understand. It was awful. But there we were, to, to, we were there to get Billy Ray Cyrus's achy, breaky heart. And my brother wanted it. I mean, he's ready to get it done. He's looking. But my dad, in all of his wisdom, is like, what we're not going to do is we're not going to buy the whole album for this song. So we need to find the single. So we look and we find the single, so to speak, and we get back in the van. It's been purchased. You have to jam it into the player. And the music that comes over the speaker is unexpected and surprising because it's achy, breaky heart in French. I mean, this is an epic fail, man. This is the worst. And I mean, my brother literally begins to cry. In the whole of this story, one of the things you learn is like going the cheap route may not be the best move. And the kingdom is worth it when you're cheap. It deals with your achy, breaky heart. It really does. Bad Segui. Anyways, what we're coming to, though, when we look at this story, and as it's unfolding, as Matthew's telling it, is it's coming from the hand of a tax collector who's recorded, who's had his life change. And he's talking about the worth of the kingdom and what it is to search it out. As these things have been said on the lips of Jesus, Matthew has shown and demonstrated already his own conversion story within the bounds of this text. And as he's telling you this, imagine him who knows what the kingdom is worth 
as he's been a traitor to his nation and has his heart changed by this glorious king who's come to be his rescue. This is amazing when you begin to think about it. So I have an amazing investment opportunity that rests before you. What would you give for the kingdom? Is it worth it to you? Have you considered it as valuable? The world does not. Look at this text, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like, and we have another like, treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Notice the nefarious activity of what just went on right there. The man found it in a field and covered it up. I mean, this is some sort of weird version of insider trading way back in their day, right? Like this is, he knows the thing. He's got the secret information. And what he's going to do is he's going to respond accordingly. He knows what's really going on with this field. Most people would have looked at the field and be like, oh, what are you doing? But not this guy. He gets it. Then in his joy, do you see that? In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Notice that the selling of all that he has plays into the very next parable story. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Now, merchants who search for fine pearls would be experts in finding the pearls. So this guy, he is in wisdom moving. Notice the wisdom that he has, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So he's considered the value of this pearl, and he's willing to sell all that he has in light of it. You know, so often when we talk in church, we talk about being a cheerful giver, and we, whether we say it out loud or not, are like, yeah, right. We have an intuitive way of living in this world that's drawing us towards greed and what we can give for ourselves. We're constantly, we're being pressed to find more and more to get ahead. Where genuine, vulnerable generosity seems ignorant and stupid. We don't really believe deep down it's more blessed to give than receive. We believe it's more blessed to get, actually. And the world is influencing us to get, 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 conquer, conquer, conquer. And they tell you, this is where you find your joy. This is where joy is found, in getting stuff. You know, I can tell by all the stuff that most of us have gotten, right? We, we have a way of collecting, of searching out joy. And the question is, is what, what will you do? You know, if you consider the kingdom worth it, right? This is training you. It's saying, hey, you should think about this. You, is the kingdom worth it? What you would be tempted to think is like, okay, that's it. What Jesus is calling me to do is sell all that I have so that I would have enough to buy the kingdom. No, no, you don't understand what the kingdom's worth. You don't have enough to purchase it. You don't, if you sold all you have and showed up before God and said, this is all I have, it wouldn't, you couldn't purchase this kingdom. What had to happen? Come on, what had to happen is Jesus who had everything gave up what he had for the joy set before him for our pursuit. That's what happened. The king came and sought first the kingdom where we didn't seek first the kingdom. He laid down his life to purchase our joy. The joy that you can have has been found in a a king who came to rescue you, the genuine searcher, when you weren't looking for God. That's what's happened. This is our Savior. So often, what we do is we think that we're doing something in and of our own accord. When we genuinely move in joy, 
it is not because we're gaining favor with God, but because we have already been given favor with God because of the work of Christ Jesus. All that we have has been given to us, and all that we do is response to all that we've been given. Everything you need has been provided in your King, Christ Jesus. You know, what we do is we then see that the kingdom is really worth it. We then see that it's worth giving all that we have because there's nothing that we have that we don't want to use for God and His glory. You know, Jesus is the ultimate hidden hero here. He's the one that we could easily miss. He's the one that so often is missed by this world and hidden to their eyes. You know, you could live to possess this world's treasure and chase after it and get as much as, as you could and the end, moth will eat it. Rust will destroy it. And it will not last. But what Christ gives in his life is worth it. I wonder how many of you right now are tempted to think that it's not worth it. That you faced attacks. You faced ongoing narratives in your life where what you're tempted to do is give up on it. Jesus sought first the kingdom. And he comes for our rescue. You know, what's going to happen next in this story, and when you get to Matthew 14, is people are not like people. The king in that story is not going to value the word of God that comes through John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is going to serve as a forerunner of Jesus, and he's going to lose his head. And the king there thinks he's conquered, but he's lost it all because of his response to the word. But in the world's eyes, that looks like John the Baptist failed. It looks like he failed. When what he actually did is succeed. This was success. Will you show up at the feast like a, like a cannibal? Like Herod does? Or will you show up gracious and kind? You know, I pray that what's happening right now in your heart is you're being transformed in the inward places to respond in generosity because of what you have in Christ. Well, just like we're preparing for Thanksgiving, we're also preparing for Christmas, aren't we? Many of us have already started. I hope you have. But we already have bought one present. But one of the things I love to do in Thanksgiving, and I'm growing into loving doing it even more, is to give my kids stuff that makes their face light up. It's just fun. Like, if you... If you do that, it's just a joy, isn't it? It's part of the fun of, of Christmas. A couple years back, we did this thing where we didn't tell them what we were doing. And that's probably a good idea if you want to surprise somebody. I'm telling them what you're doing. Um, but we had to, to do it well, we had to get up super early in the morning. I mean, early. And these, they, look, they were two years younger than they even are now. And as we're doing this, they are just like, what is going on? It's dark outside. They're getting in the car. The car's completely packed. But we, have, we know we have to get there at a certain time. And I really want it to be a surprise. So they don't know what's happening. And they're casting questions for the, all the We're driving from the Panhandle. Remember this. We're driving from the Panhandle all the way to Orlando. All the way. And they'd talk with their friends about where they wanted to go. And, and Gunner the whole time is like, I want to go see Harry Potter land. It's, you know, he's into it. And so when we show up, we finally get there. We're standing in line. 
at the hotel because he still doesn't, he doesn't know much about Orlando or where he even is. He just knows, why are we doing this? I'm so tired. We're here so early in the morning. We're in the line of the hotel. And in the hotel, they have this store. I'll never forget it because it's like when the light flicked on. Because I'm not telling him, I'm just, I'm letting it all kind of unfold. And he looks over and he sees the Harry Potter, Harry Potter wands for sale. And it just hits him all at once. And he's like, yeah! He knows what's happening. He's like, we're going to Universal Studios. It's like, he's just surprised. He's blown away. I've kept it hidden. Boom, all at once. You know, it's beautiful for us to be surprised by joy and things. And that's what the kingdom is actually doing. It's showing up to surprise us. Now, what I want you to go back and do, because I skipped over some verses and I did it on purpose because I wanted to cover it at the end. I want you to go back to verse 34 because Matthew's been using this word fulfill and he's obsessed with it in his gospel. And all of it points to these promises that are coming out of the Old Testament. And what he's doing is showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. He's like, and this happened to fulfill scripture, and this happened to fulfill scripture, and this happened to fulfill scripture. Like over and over again, he's showing you that that's, that's what's taking place. And so here, what we have in the gospel, right here in verse 34, is Matthew doing one of these installments in the kingdom parable teachings. So let's look at it. Verse 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. See, ultimately, what we need in all of our lives is a renewed hope in the story of the kingdom. We need renewed hope. There's so much that you could come in here with weighed down. And what you need to know is that God is fulfilling his story. He quotes right here, Jesus, from Psalm 78 in the first couple of verses. And if you want to know, like Psalm 78 is this massively long psalm. It's 70-something verses long. And what's happening here is the whole psalm is being implicated in how Because each one of these stories are Old Testament stories of God's continued faithfulness in rescuing his people. How God has been continually faithful in light of and despite of their unfaithfulness and wickedness. God continues to show up and rescue his people. Continues to show up and rescues his people. In fact, what I'm going to do is just look at a couple of verses that are at the end of it. So what we're going to look is verse 70 through 72. Notice that. 70 to 72. And it's going to talk about David. Look at this. He chose David his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him up, brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With with upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. And the psalm cuts out. That's the end. We get David at the end, and the psalm just cuts out right there. And you may miss something. You may miss something significant, especially as Matthew's been building it in his gospel. One of the things that Matthew's been proving since the very beginning of the gospel is that Jesus is the true son of David. He's the ultimate king and authority that's come. He's the king of the kingdom. What did God do in his faithfulness of old? He raised up the, no, the little bitty king David to rule over his people. Despite his sinfulness, he shaped him to be the shepherd of his people through shepherding. And the ultimate shepherd of the sheep, the one who came to die on behalf of his people and save them from their sins in Matthew's gospel is Jesus, 
the true son of David. This story is being fulfilled. It is not failing. Look, I know you're in my temptation. It is in the face of all the things that we go through in this world to miss it and all that we experience. When we look at the pain that we go through, when we look at all of the stuff that seems big and powerful, we forget the hidden nature of the kingdom and we think God is not winning. He is so failing right now. He's not failing, brothers and sisters. You can have hope. The story will come to its completion. The kingdom has come and will come. The kingdom will come. It's not going to fail. This victory that we have in Jesus happened through the rejection of people. The disciples, they think they're going to understand, but when it comes to following Jesus, they're going to fail when he's rejected and ultimately learn how they themselves can go through rejection in light of their rejected king. Oh, you've been through a lot, I guarantee it. You've walked in a sin-soaked world. You've experienced disappointments. You've been dismayed. But you can rest in Jesus. What Jesus does is he teaches us how to look back on the story of God. And he says, look at God's faithfulness. Look at how many times he's been faithful so that you can look forward in your life. Me and my wife, we got out recently our love letters and all the pictures and stuff. Like, I'm sorry for, like, there's so many of you guys in a new generation that what you're going to have to figure out how to do is print out all your texts because all you have is, like, love texts. That's lame. Maybe you have love emails if you're lucky, but we have love letters, a whole box filled with them. And as you can sit there and read them, you're reminded of how silly you are and then at the same time how sweet it was. It renews things. It helps you to remember the love you have, the pictures of how you used to look. All of it's great and grand, but it reminds you of the faithfulness of God, even in the middle of your folly. You know, when we get what Jesus is doing here, he's taking us back and showing us all of the pictures of God's people and how God continually rescued them. It helps you when you feel like, man, I'm in a terrible spot. Well, welcome to the story, but he's faithful. He, you can have hope. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom has come. The kingdom will come again. You know, I love this text because it reminds me that Jesus will fulfill his story. It's seen primarily in his own life. As he goes to his death, he raises from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Psalm 110 is true. He is ruling now, and he is bringing that rule to the hearts of men, even as we speak. And you can have hope in the face of people who reject and miss it and who are not in the house. But my warning is for you who sit here and are looking past your Messiah and not paying attention. Do you see Jesus? Do you see what he's done? Do you see his kingdom? Is it worth it to you? It's conquering hearts today. I pray God would use his word to stir up a new affection in you, to drive you back and make you be driven to this table so that you can enjoy fellowship with this one who has rescued you. Don't lose hope. Let's pray together.